Um, so take a look with me um, at Ephesians 4, and it's gonna, we're going to start at verse 11, and we're going to go through verse 16. This is uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Jesus, you are over all things. You are through all things. All things exist for you. And as we look at your church, as we look at your physical body active in the city of Rock Hill, in the city of Charlotte, in the United States, in, in this entire universe, you are the center and you are, you are the image that we long to, to portray. We long to be the image, your image to this world, Jesus. Lord, as we study this text, I pray that your word would dwell with us. I pray that we would be moved by your nature and by your character, by your love, by your compassion. Jesus, move us into an understanding of, of the church universal, that you would give us insight and wisdom on how we, how we can be a small part of your big church in this world, Jesus. Lord, give us, give us grace. Move our hearts away from ourselves and towards you. And I pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. What is, what is the goal of the church? What is, what is the result of the church that we want to happen? Right here. We're going to take 75 of us, 100 of us. I'm going to be Remedy Church this morning because I can. Um, what is the goal of the church? What, what are we here to do? What does this text tell us? The goal of the church is to look and function like the physical body of Jesus. The goal of the church is to look and function like the physical body of Jesus. Which is easy to say in practice. It's easy to say in theory, right? But in practice, that's, that's kind of hard, right? For us all to be an image of Jesus to the world around us, to the people we work with, to our family. That's hard. We, 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 we aren't exactly good at that, right? And so if we want to be the image of Jesus, I mean, this is a huge responsibility. And if we're called to be the image of Jesus, wow, we've got some serious work to do. Because I know if I'm looking at my life as me, as the image of Jesus to my wife, to my son, to my, to my church, I know I've got a lot of work to do. And so the problem is that we aren't perfect. The church is not a perfect place. And if you've come to this church or you've been to churches around the area, you, I'm sure you've had your share of disappointments and struggles. And, well, this wasn't what I expected or this wasn't what I hoped for. This, maybe this wasn't the, the, the teaching that I was hoping for. This preaching was really bad this morning. And if you're new, I, I apologize. Come back next week and you'll hear Fudd. He's really great. Um, but the church... The church isn't perfect, right? We're we're not we're imperfect people. We're we're flawed. We're 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 marred by something wrong. But we're called to something great to be an image of Christ 
to Rock Hill and to Charlotte. I want to think about our physical bodies, our, our arms, our legs, because the body in Ephesians is a, is a huge metaphor. And I've been preaching through Ephesians, and I can't get away from this, the idea of a physical body. I mean, I, want, I keep going to new, new metaphors and trying to explain different things better ways, but I keep coming back to the physical body. And I think we have physical bodies. How many people work out, do uh, what's a Zumba or P90X or uh, PX? Now, what is it? P90X. I don't know. I don't, I don't do that. I go to the Y. I play racquetball, and I actually have an anger management class on the golf course. So that's kind of the way um, I work out. But how many people work out? You work out. What is the purpose of working out? The purpose of working out is to stay healthy. You know, you might take some fish oils and some some vitamins. The purpose of working out maybe is if you're a pro athlete is to to become a better golfer, a better basketball player. Um, there's there's something ingrained in the body that it's not perfect. The body is um, created with muscles and and blood and, and a brain that teaches your body to act and to move. But it doesn't it doesn't always work as it should, right? I mean, you can go out in the golf course and swing a thousand different shots, and every time you're going to hit a different shot, right? And so, in on the golf course, I want to train myself to hit the ball correctly, and I, I progressively usually get worse. But in the point of the church. If we are Jesus' body, if we are the image of Christ to Rock Hill, we've got some training to do, right? We've got some work to do on us. And it's, it's a burden. It's, it's a very heavy responsibility. But it, it's a great joy. And it, it shouldn't weigh us down in the way that we feel depressed and, and like, man, we're never going to do this. But it should excite us that we, each one of us individually and collectively, are portraying Jesus, the image of God, the nature of God to, to this world. I mean, that's just a joy. So as we get into this, I want to talk a little bit about individually how each one of us becomes the image of Jesus and is transformed into the image of Jesus. And I want to talk about how as to collectively, as we all are transformed into the image of Jesus, we, we, we get a bigger picture of the work of the kingdom in, in Rock Hill. And so as we pick up these, these verses, I, I really did a disservice to you because there's such a great amount of text before that that I wanted to read, um, but I didn't have three hours, and I knew that wouldn't happen. So I want to pick up just one verse, of chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every one of us, when we, when we begin to walk with Jesus, when Jesus changes our hearts and our affections are turned away from our, our pleasure and our preference towards Jesus, when we're turned away from ourselves and towards Jesus, we're now walking with Jesus, we get grace, we get gifts, we get talents, we get abilities, and our mind changes. And God uses our experiences and our gifts to do something. They're, they're, it's not just fruit, fruitless 20 years and then you have 60 years of, of something that happens. God uses every bit of our life towards the work of His kingdom. And so... A lot of t- I, we were at a conference earlier a couple months ago, and I loved a guy named Ed Stetzer said, the way we organize church is in rows, right? We sit in rows, pretty pews, and everybody looks up here like the action is up here, like the ministry is happening right here, right? Like all the good stuff happens here, like the one person that's standing here is responsible for the entire thrust of the church. But the truth of the gospel, the truth of mission, the truth of what Jesus is doing in, in Rock Hill and Charlotte is that the ministry is here. I mean, I should be looking at you guys for the work of the church, the image of the church. And yet we, we look up on Sundays, we, we, we put our eyes towards one person or, or a stage of people that we think, well, they're doing the ministry. Well, the truth is, every one of us has been given grace and talents and gifts, and God uses all of those to build his church and to build his body, to build the image of Jesus. If we look... Um, 
with, at this word measure. It's, it's, a, it's a word that comes from the metric system, metron. It means that literally Jesus in each one of us has poured out an exact amount of His grace with an exact purpose and an exact intention for what we would do. How cool is that? That each one of us has been exactly created with an intention and a purpose in, in a way that we would image Jesus to our families and to the world. It's not arbitrary. It's not like just grace goes out and, and we're all changed. Each one of us was created with, with a purpose, with an image, with an intention that we would be the image of Jesus. And that takes different forms. And so as we read this text, we hear about all these prophet, evangelist, teacher, and we think, oh, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. But the thrust of this text is not that we would focus on the teachers and the prophets and the pastors. The focus of the text is that we would know the role of those people, but ourselves, the church, would be built and sent and become what we were supposed to be in the gift. So this is not an arbitrary amount, and um, it says that Jesus measured it. It doesn't mean that anybody is... um, you know, preferred or that much better by different gifts. You know, we some think people certain gifts are better than others, but God uses all of the gifts together. And um, the purpose of these gifts is not to build us up. You know, if if I'm a if I'm a pastor, the purpose of me being a pastor is not to say, "Wow, what a great pastor I am," or "What a great preacher I am." The purpose of me being a pastor is beyond me. It goes through me. And so, as we think about gifts. Um, I want to take a look at Romans 12.5. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. The role of gifts in our lives and talents and abilities is not that we would just say, wow, look what God gave me. I'm so great. The role of, of, of the gifts is that we would be sent and, and used. God would use us to do something in the city of Rock Hill and our families. And what, what, what are we doing? That's, that's a good question. Well, we're going to get to that. And there are a variety of, of, of gifts, but um, what is the primary method that God uses to communicate His Word and communicate the truth about Jesus? It's a church, right? We could use our gifts in, in key clubs, in rotaries, um, in PTA meetings. We could use all the things that God's done for us and our experiences. But primarily, God has designed us to use our gifts to serve the church. And we do those other things. Those other things, I'm not knocking any of those things. But primarily, this text is saying that we all are to be used in the church, to do something in the church. Now, that sounds funny because most of the time we think, well, we have people that are paid to preach and paid to organize and paid to take care of kids. But all of us are to use our gifts in the church. I want, to, I want you to think about that. What does it look like for you, individually, to use your gifts in the church, in Remedy Church? What does it look like for you to take the grace that Jesus has given you, the experiences, the mind, and use that for the good and the building of this body and this image of Jesus? Okay, now we're going to pick up verse 11. I finally get to the text. That was intro. And so, Paul gives us all these gifts, these, these certain types of ministerial teaching types gifts, right? Apostles. Apostles are people that start new churches. It's kind of like Fudd and I. We, we, we have this entrepreneurial spirit. We want to go start something even if it blows up. We just have this drive to go for it, right? How many people are apostles? Any apostles? Might have a couple in here. Prophets. How many people are prophets? I don't mean like the prophets that 
You know, they said something in the Old Testament, and if you didn't, if it didn't happen, they died. I'm talking about like have a prophetic word for the church. Um, these are people like Matt Chandler. I think has got an incredibly prophetic gift towards the South and the way he teaches. Um, not too many prophets in here, I would think. An evangelist. How many people are on the street corners any day? Um, Trade and Tryon is my uh, main place I hang out. I don't preach there. I'm just kidding. Um, evangelists are always thinking about how can I better proclaim Jesus? How, what's a better way to talk about Jesus? What's a better analogy? How can I best show God to this world? Um, some people may be evangelists. Now, shepherds, pastors, priests, teachers, those who are kind of lumped together. Um, they're linked by one article in in the Greek, so it's this one gift, it's not a couple gifts, but it's all inclusive. That's why we call elders, pastors, kind of work that synonymously. All these gifts are doing what? They're building the church, they're, they're, they're buffeting truth, they're allowing God's truth to be center and, and, and killing off any false teaching. But a lot of us don't have those gifts, right? Some of us do, but a lot of us have other gifts. And so why does Paul limit the gift list? There's five lists of gifts in the New Testament. And all of them are not complete. Nowhere in the New Testament is there a complete list of spiritual gifts where you can say, my name's John Doe, and I've got 7, 15, and 61. There's no, there's no list. There's no way for us to know all the gifts. And so this is a succinct list with, an, with a purpose. And the purpose of this list is that we would see the role of these people to build a church and to equip the church. It's a good word, equip. It's going to get thrown a lot, thrown around a lot, just because of the nature of, of churches. You know, what's the role of the church to equip the saints? You hear that a lot, right? What does the word equip mean? The word equip means to fix what is broken, to supply what is lacking, or to repair with a purpose. And I want I want to hang on repair with a purpose. Because the role of the pastor, the role of the teacher, the role of the evangelist is that the, the understanding of Jesus and the understanding of the gospel would be repaired in lives so that those lives would have a purpose in this church and in this city. I think about the word training. I think about the word discipling, preparing. I think about all of us as athletes are being prepared or being discipled and trained by the gospel. The gospel trains our hearts. It trains our minds. It redirects our affections. Where we once loved um, the things of the world, where we once loved carnal things, God has now redirected and retuned our understanding, our love for Jesus. This is the work of the pastor and the teacher. This is why I have a job, because I am a part of building the church, the image. But it's not, it's not about me. It's not about how well I can preach or how, how well I can exegete a text. The role of a pastor is, is not in its activity. It's, it's not intrinsically beneficial. The, be, the benefit of a pastor is that it would prepare others to minister. Because they call, you know, I, was, I did a wedding um, three months ago for a good friend in Charlotte. And... Uh, you know, all the bachelors, they go out and play golf on Friday. So my buddy's like, listen, I want you to come play golf with my friends. They're a little crazy. They drink a little. I'm like, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll do it. No problem. So I go, and they can't believe that the priest is playing golf with them. They, they're like, they're amazed. They're like, the minister's playing golf, and the minister's married because they're all Catholic. They're, I can't believe he's married. And, and his, you know, he's got a pretty wife. It was so funny because the idea of a minister is so removed. People think, wow, that's like, you know, he's got like a, 
funny hat and he walks around with a white suit, you know. And they've got this horrible idea of a minister and yet the truth of the gospel is that every one of us are ministers. Every one of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the work of the gospel. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. That we are new creations and now we are no longer building our own kingdoms, but we're building the kingdom of God in this world. That's what, that's what it means. We're building the image of Jesus in this world. All of us, all of us are ministers. And so if the work of the ministry in this church, the work of building the image of Jesus, corresponds to grace measured out to each one of us, well, we better be, be pretty in tune to what God is doing in our hearts and, and what God has given us for experience and for mind and talent. And the one thing that, um, that I love about grace is that it doesn't allow us to stay where we are. It doesn't allow us to just sit with it and enjoy it. Like if you ever, ever get done mowing the lawn and you, and you come in and you grab a nice cold glass of like lemonade. I don't like sweet tea. I was born in Maryland. Um, but I grab a cold glass of lemonade and I just want to sit in my chair with a glass of lemonade. I don't want to do anything, right? It's like this great, refreshing drink. And uh, I just want to sit with it, right? That's kind of like grace. Sometimes we get grace. God gives us good things. We just want to sit. You know, God provides our, for our needs. We have a great meal that God gives to us. God puts a roof over our heads. We've got a great facility. We just want to enjoy it, right? Wow, look, look what God has done. Look who God is, and he's done this. We want to enjoy grace, and yet the very definition and nature of grace is not for our pleasure, but it's for God's purpose. The nature of grace is not something that sits, it's something that goes through us. And so as soon as we see the work of God, the work of grace in our lives, we are, we are no, no quickly, I mean, so quickly sent out again to do something. And so it's, it's a curse to have a mind, it's a curse to have hands, it's a curse to have strength, it's a curse to have provision because God has given us responsibility to do something with it. But it's a great joy because our ultimate joy will only be found when we give our, our ability and give our mind and give our thoughts and give our affections to Jesus instead of just letting it sit with us. So I think about um, college courses. Why do we go to college? I went to college. I got a four-year degree. Hangs, well, I used to hang on my wall. I don't know why I don't hang it anymore. Um, we moved back. We're still getting used to uh, living in a house again. Um, but why do we go to college? We go to college to learn about economics, to learn about biology, to learn about forensics. I know, what do you like studying? I studied religious studies. You know, I was kind of a nerd. I studied dead languages. Why do we go to college? We go to college for a purpose. We're trained. We're equipped. We're, you know, we get four years of, uh, you know, some people get four years of good education. <laughs> some people just, you know, have four years of a lifetime, a blast, you know, but we go to college because we want to do something else. We, we have another purpose. We have another intention. And this training is meant to build us, build our minds and build our, our bodies so that we could do what we intended to do when we started. A lot of times colleges, you know, we, you go in with, I didn't know my major till sophomore, junior year. A lot of times it's, it's, it's testing. What, what do I, what do I love? What do I want to do? You know, I'm only 18. What am I going to spend my time with? And so the training ground of college is not just for getting a bigger head and knowing how to manage a stock portfolio. The training ground of college is, is to do something. I think about um, preaching. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not just preaching for my health. If I'm preaching just to, 
see how well I can throw my voice or how deep of a voice I can get or how eloquent I can be in my words. If it's just in the oratory ability of my preaching, it has no value. Preaching, by definition, has no value unless I'm making known something. I'm giving, giving purpose and I'm telling people about Jesus. That is the purpose of preaching. So all the things we do in work have a purpose. And so grace, when it comes to us, has a purpose. Um, a lot of people want to ask, well, I want to use my gifts, I want to be a part of the church, um, but I've got this question, you know, how, if, we're, if the church is doing what it should, and the church is growing, how do you equip the saints? Do you equip them in number, or do you equip, equip them in quality? Because it seems like there's two competing schools. Do we want to have a really big church with a really flashy band? Well, you guys do have a nice band, by the way. Um, we have like an iPod and acoustic guitar, so I'm, I'm really, I love it. I'm like, man, that sounds really loud. I like that. Um, do you want to have a, do we want to go for number? Do we want to get as many people into one room as possible? Or do we want to have a holy huddle, like four people that are dedicated out of their minds to building the church? Do you have to go one way or the other? Do you have to go for numbers or do you have to go for quality? Because equipping the saints, by, by definition, you're going to go, you're going to go push one way or the other. You're going to go for one. But the goal is not for one or the other. The goal is for both. The goal is that by equipping the saints, you would equip more saints. So you would both get the quality and growing and training of disciples for the work of Jesus and a mass number of them. Um, I love that churches can do both. And churches can not just cater to, let's get a lot of people in here and equip them and not just get 15 people and hope we're going to make it to the end of the life. But we can do both. And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we press on? Because sometimes we can, we can get so individual in our minds with our gifts and think, okay, this is my gift. I'm just going to do this today. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it hard. And I'm going to do it the next day. And I'm going to do it again. But then we get so caught up in our own gifting, our own ability, right? And we forget, wait, there's other people around here that are doing different things that might complement me or might work with me. And so if we look at verse 13... Paul says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We all. The process of us being equipped as ministers, the process of us being equipped as, as servants of the gospel and as workers of the gospel is a, is a unified thing. It happens together. If we do it alone, there, there's no value in it because there's no support. We end up being a lot of fingers or a lot of toes or a lot of, a lot of legs, but no body. The value of a body is, is twofold, the strength of the parts and the connectedness of the parts. My wife ran a half marathon two years ago, and I'm really sarcastic and snide with her, and it's really, it's really inappropriate. I need to repent right now. We go to have a nice lunch after she runs this half marathon, and I said, yeah, I bet you I could run a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> She's trained for six months to do this this half marathon, and I, I could run a marathon tomorrow. She was she was unbelievably shocked. She was like, "I can't even believe you. You've stooped to a new low in our relationship. I just finished this race, and you say you could do it tomorrow." I said, "You know, I'm kind of athletic." She said, "You haven't worked out in six months. What are you crazy?" So I said, "I could run a marathon tomorrow." I didn't actually go do it. I, I did research it though. Because Google says, <laughs> the reason people do that 
this is hilarious. People have actually tried to do that, just like, I'm going to try to run 30 miles like an ultra marathon. And it's not that their muscles aren't strong enough. The problem in trying to do that is their, their connective tissues, the tendons, their ligaments, the things that hold the muscles together break down quicker than the muscles do. And so when you run, you've got this foot that's a, that's a, that's a working, right? But the, the joint is really the strength and what, what grows. And when, so when you run a lot and you spend a lot of time running, I don't run, I hate running, um, which is funny that I wanted to run a marathon. Um, but when you spend a lot of time running, you're, you're growing ligaments, you're growing those tendons, you're growing the connectedness of your legs and your body as a holistic exercise. And so it's when, if I was to go run a marathon tomorrow, I'd be in trouble, not because my legs aren't strong enough, but because they're not held together well. They're not, they're not structured well, and, and everything would break down, and I'd probably be in, in the hospital for a couple months. It's the same way with the body. If we all pursued our gifts individually and never collectively worked as a cohesive body, we'd, we'd, it's like we're trying to run a marathon without training together. And so the, the way that we are equipped is both individually and corporately. And together, we are equipped, built together as one body working together. Have you ever done... Um, see, here's my body analogies. Have you ever done like a really core exercise training where you do like, a, you do like five routines? You do like abs, biceps, back, chest, shoulders, and you just do it constantly, and you get done, and you feel like you've worked your whole body out? That's, that's what we need to do as a church. We need to work out our bodies and our gifts together. We need to train together. It's like uh, cross-training. You know, we don't just focus on, you know, there's the guys at the gym that just do like 50,000 reps of biceps, and they're like, I'm going to the beach tomorrow. I need to look good. And they do one type of muscle, and then they have, no, they have no leg strength. They walk around like triangles, you know? they got this giant, giant upper body, and they walk around kind of like this. There, there's no purpose in that. It's just show, right? But the purpose of the church is to be built up, and to be built up as, as one cohesive unit, displaying the image of Jesus, displaying Jesus' body to the world. And if, we, and if we think we can do it with one part, with one person on Sunday, we're, we're, we're very mistaken. And we're, we're actually a lame body. If we have one person representing our body. We have one part doing all the work. A mouth, we're very, very in trouble. And so my hope is that as the body of Christ, we would display a good image of Jesus. We would display a healthy image of Jesus, an image of Jesus that works together. When we started, when we started Redemption, we had three people, and they all shared my last name, and it was very exciting, and I knew my family would be there because we met in our house, and so we show up on Sunday, it was January 10th, and uh, we had like 25 people come, and I was like, I, had, I literally had no idea where these people came from. It was exciting, I'm like, this is great, I can tell you about the church and where we're going and my vision, this is the blueprint for the church, this is the vision, this is the, the plan, um, which has not worked out at all, unfortunately, um, I plan, I plan, but then it fails, and then you pre-plan. So we have these 25 people that don't know each other. I've met, met some through Facebook, some through Twitter. I've met some through friends, some from high school, some of my wife. I think my wife dated one of the guys. That was really funny. Um, it, it's, it's the most random group of people ever, and yet we were called to be a connected, working together body. And that takes time. It takes a lot of time. I... Uh, I'm amazed how much time it takes, in fact. I thought we'd just 
We'd set up, have 25 people, we'd double in a couple months, we'd roll out, we'd have a, you know, a new service, and boom, we'd get like 300 people by the end of the year. I was, I was thinking it would roll, but the work of the connected, connectedness, the tissue, the, the tendons, takes time to build. Because so many of you, I bet, have been either walking with Jesus for a lot of years, or maybe you've just recently begun walking with Jesus. But how many of you have been walking with Jesus and with the person next to you on your right and the next person next to you on your left? It's probably not as likely. You may maybe known them for a year or two years, but um, the goal of the church is to be built in strength in each part and also to be built in the connectedness to each other. For us, we meet on Wednesday nights uh, as a community community group. We have a potluck once a week. We do uh, once a month. We do a, uh, a some kind of service project in the city. We've worked with crisis assistance and um, folded clothes for a free store. And then a couple times a week, we pray for each other, a couple times a month, I'm sorry, pray for each other. And, it, and it's a way for us to structure our community as a connected piece, as a connected whole, connecting with each other, praying for each other, knowing each other's needs. And it, it, it's so funny that um, I've had people come and say, Pastor Sean, you know, I like community group. It's cool, but I got to put my kid down. You know, he goes to bed at seven. I said, bring him to my house. I got pack and plays. We'll put him up. Yeah, I, you know, we got We have a community. You know, we, we have some Christian friends. We listen to Christian radio. You know, we repent on the way to school in the morning. Well, that's cool. You know, but people think in my church they think they have community. I have Christian friends I talk to, and yet Wednesday nights provide an intentional time for all of us to connect with each other, to connect with what God is doing in your heart, in your heart, in my heart. I, I think for me, my church is Wednesday night. I don't go to church on Sunday. I work, I work on Sundays. I go to church on Wednesday. Wednesday provide for me is a time where I connect with other people and I, I, I share my heart. This is what I'm having a tough time with, with this week. I have had two sick people in my house and I've been throwing up and I, it's been a horrible week this week for me. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for my strength and my health? We're having a tough time finding a facility. Can we pray for this? I, I bring what I, I need help with to this group. And that provides people an insight to my heart, to my life. Sean's a pastor. Sean's leading a church. And yet, he's kind of like me. He's not that much different. I love that. I, I, I hate when I go to places, and I get this a lot. So what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> After they've let out a giant string of profanity, oh, shoot, I just cussed at the pastor. It's terrible, right? And I feel like, listen, dude, I've said a cuss word in my life. We're the same, you know? I feel like I want to connect with people apart from being a pastor, apart from being a minister. My other friends say, dude, how great is that? You get to tell people you're a pastor. It's like an immediate end to the gospel. I'm a pastor. Do you know Jesus? And, and it's like, yeah, you think that would work out so well. Most of the time it's like, I'm a pastor. See ya. Oh, my wife just came. I got to go. And, it, and it's hard for me. But, but for me, I'm just as much a part of the body as everyone else. We put pastors up on the stage. and you know, Fudd's a great guy. I love Fudd. Faithful man. You guys are really uh, blessed to have a guy like him leading this church. But Fudd is a guy just like you guys are. Fudd is a man that walks, showers, you know. He's a regular dude. And so I think that as we think about the roles of pastors, the roles of teachers, the roles of evangelists, they're just like gifts like all of you have, just like the gifts that God has given us that are just different. And so 
we ought not think of them as so great and so beyond us. Now, there is a high standard for pastors. There is a high standard for teachers. Why? Because we're teaching God's word. We're teaching God's truth to a church, to to the body. That's huge. That's a huge responsibility. So yes, we should have a, a giant weight for pastors and teachers. And as First Timothy and Titus say, we should hold them in, in high regard and, and not quickly should people want to become teachers because it's a long road, I'll tell you that. But in the same respect, we are still men serving in the church. And so if, if you take nothing from today except take this, that Jesus has given gifts to all of us, and all of us serve in this church. I would love to have like a, uh, an extra hour up here. Fudd, is that cool? We're going to form a line up here. I'm just kidding. And we're just going to come through. We're going to talk about our gifts. I want to hear what God is doing in your heart. I want to hear the way that God has changed your life, the experiences that you had that are now, is now being used for the goodness of God. Genesis 50 says, What God meant for good... What, um, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. I want to know how the experiences before you knew Jesus are now being used for the good of the kingdom and the worship of Jesus. I want to know that. For, so if, if I was to have a worship service and I'm to have church, I'm going to line everybody up. We're going to come up and I'm going to, I'm going to interview everybody. Tell me how God's working. Tell me how the gospel has changed you. Tell me how you worship Jesus now and you don't worship yourself. Tell me how you've, you've forsaken your pleasure and your preference to worship a good God. That's what I want to know. That's what fires me up because I don't, you know, I hate pastors' conferences. I actually despise going to them. I love pastors, but I hate the idea that we're like looking to these dudes that have paved the way, right? It's like everybody wants to be Mark Driscoll, right? I love Pastor Mark. I sat under his teaching for two years. He is an incredible prophet and gifted man. But not all of us pastors are going to be Mark Driscoll. We're not, we're just not that cool. We're not that guy, right? And so I want to know about the regular people. We'll call them that. That's me. I want to know how all of us are walking out the image of Jesus in our families, in our workplaces. My, my full-time job is actually as a uh, follower of Jesus and a husband and a father. That's, that's my full-time job. So if I was to list that on a resume, I think that'd be funny, but I don't think too many people else would think it was funny. But for me, being a pastor is just the, the end gift. And so I would say to the men, I would say to you, your role is to lead the people around you well. Lead them to Jesus. If you're married, that means leading your wife to the cross. That means leading your wife to the word. That means praying for her. That means encouraging her. That means loving her with the word. That's your gift of ministry. That's how you are gifted. God gave me a word about you just there. <laughs> you are gifted to do that and, and given strength to, to lead. If you're a single guy, how are you leading others? Are there, are there younger guys that you can lead and, and grow up in the faith? Are there uh, people that you work with that don't know Jesus, that are far from hope, that are far from life? How, how are you the image and physical body of Jesus? A, a sister book of Ephesians is Colossians. Paul writes this in 124. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Have you ever read that verse? Have you ever read that and been like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been to Sunday school and I know Jesus was perfect. What is lacking in Jesus? 
Can you tell me? Can you tell me what in Jesus' life and death and resurrection for me is lacking? Because why would Paul write that? For the sake of his body, that is the church. I said at the beginning the purpose of the church is for us to function and look like the image, physical body of Jesus. We do that because the work of Jesus is not finished. The work of Jesus on the cross for our sins in our place, sanct- the, the justification of our souls is completely done, reserved, in stone. There's nothing that can change that. But the continued work of Jesus in Rock Hill and in Charlotte has not stopped. The continued work of the gospel is going out. And that's why Paul says, in my suffering, in my pain, Jesus will be made known. That, that is the reason we exist as a church. When we die and, and the world burns up, there is no more need for a church because we are with Jesus. We are the image. We are completely right. We're completely made, made right. The only reason the church exists is that all of us would be made into the image of Jesus and being prepared to meet him for all time. I love that idea. I was listening to a song this morning, and it's it's a it's an old like Johnny Cash kind of song. Um, so I'm sorry if it's it's weird. I, I I was like moved to tears by this song because it was talking about how at the end of my life there's nothing left of me, and I don't care. You can just send me away. I'm done. Because why? Because I now walk with Jesus. I walk in perfection, and my physical body is new. My heart is completely right. And everything that God has already done on the cross for me in Jesus is realized. The book of Ephesians is amazing. Oh, if you can read this book 13 times today, you would grow so much from this. I I just love it. And the first half of Ephesians is all about this giant theology. This is who God is. This is what the cross is. This is how Jesus has has made um, one people for himself. There's no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no black. There's no white. There's no slave. There's no free. There's one people for Jesus. And the, and the rest of the book, 4 through 6, is about walking out what Jesus has already done for us. We get to walk out what we already are. It's like you win the game, now, now just go play. Well, why would you play, right? We know we've won the game. Jesus has won the game for all time, and yet the church walks out the winning of the game. Don't you love that? We, you get to win, right? I, I'm unbelievably competitive in, uh, in foosball, and ping pong, um, and all these like little silly sports, I love it. I like, I'll play my sister who's like six years younger, and I'm like, one other game, five bucks on it, come on. And she and she's like, Sean, I just played you thirty times and you beat me. I was like, I know, I love. I'm just so competitive, right? If you're competitive, you should love the gospel because Jesus wins. And when you look at suffering, and when you look at pain, and when you look at persecution, and when you look at sin in your life that you've caused others and others have caused you. You can know for sure that for all time, Jesus has taken that sin and made it right. And so the role of the church is just living and walking out what Jesus has already done. Very little responsibility on our end to make ourselves right. I always think it's funny that the New Age philosophy and and a lot of the, the um, the new way to get to God is to, to just become better people. Just stop doing that. Start doing this. You need to stop looking at that. Stop talking about her and start following Jesus. It's so silly, right? It's such a legalism, such religious activity. What can I 
what can I do to make myself look like Jesus? I, I, I'm supposed to be a man that, that is extremely humble and it has a lot of integrity, but I'm not. So I'm just going to try to make myself look like that, right? That's, I think that's what I, I've done for a lot of years. I've tried to, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be like this guy. You know, I'm supposed to read, read the Bible four times a day and, uh, and pray a lot. But fixing ourselves is kind of like fighting fire with fire. It's kind of like if someone's drowning, you throw them some water. It's like, good luck. Hope you can make it out of there. Here's some water. It's fresh. That's silly, right? Broken people don't fix broken things. Broken people are by nature broken and don't have the ability to fix things that are already broken. This is why as broken people, we go to a unbroken, perfect, stainless, blemish-free God, who serves us. He becomes our life. He becomes our image. And the, for 60 years, I will continually be dying and Jesus will be continually living. Less of Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus. That's, that's what the church is. The church is a people who are repenting of looking like themselves and trying to walk like Jesus. The image of Jesus in form and function is, is what we, we want, to, want to see. Let's ver- look at verse um, uh, 13 again. He gives us a couple things, and we're going we're to catch this idea of unity. Ephesians is all about unity. Unity in the body, unity in the faith, unity in understanding the gospel. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of words in there. What we need to know is that God is unifying us in our faith. God is unifying this church in our understanding of the gospel, in our understanding of who Christ is, our understanding of, of where we're going, why we're here, why we have these experiences, and where God is taking us. What is God sending you to do? Well, here, let me tell you what faith is, and let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's what the church is. The church is a way for all of us to be equipped and to know centrally that all of us are on the same team. Have you ever, um, if you're married, you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Does anybody have mar- marriage troubles? I never have marriage troubles. I'm a pastor. I'm perfect. <clears throat> I, I'm so lying. Um, in marriage, <laughs> this is great. In marriage, there's, it's kind of like there's two competing parties, right? You've got the Republicans and the Democrats. And one of the persons is a saver and one's a spender. And one wants to go out and hang, have a good time and one's a homebody. And um, so you've got these like two competing, this is what I want to happen. This is, well, this is, I'm going to just speak for my marriage. Maybe people will get some benefit from that. I want one thing. Kaylee wants another. Now that's fine, right, when you're, when you're single, because I can do one thing and Kaylee can do another. But when I get married, I'm now one flesh with my wife. And that's a spiritual term. That's not really, it kind of gets physical for a while. But one flesh, like we have one mind, one, one body, one blood type. All of us, my wife and I, are now one. But in sin, we try to separate. I try to pull apart. I want this and she wants this. My wife is a saver. When we got married, she'd saved, I think she'd said, we were, we were still poor, but she'd saved like $2,000. It was so much money. And uh, 
this is, I can't believe I'll tell you the story. I, she had saved $2,000 because she wanted our marriage to start off on a good foot. This is uh, over four years ago. It's off changed. I went out and uh, I'd been looking at these surround sound speakers. And they were incredible. Um, subwoofers in the sides. I'm an electronics fiend. I love electronics. Subwoofers in the sides. They have a special array, sound, round. And uh, it was Valentine's Day. And I called Kaylee. I had been looking at these speakers for like four months. No kidding. Kaylee, I'm done with these speakers, baby. Oh, Sean, thank you for serving me. Thank you for loving me so well. I, I just really, I, I'm so moved that you would care more about our marriage than some stupid set of speakers. I said, no problem. The problem was that I had ordered the speakers that morning and that I had told her I was done with them because I would already bought them. We went to my parents for the weekend, and uh, I knew the speakers would be in boxes when we got back. So I had to tell her, oh, I got trash for it. I got killed. And I, I, I think it was the worst, probably one of the worst decisions I've made in my life to spend that much money on speakers when my wife had invested so much in our, in our relationship. And in marriage, I wanted one thing. I wanted a surround sound system, which to the credit of Jesus, is now being used for our worship services in the, I, I, at night. So, uh, I'll stop. <laughs> I wanted speakers. I wanted this awesome kicktail sa- stereo surround system, which really blows. It is awesome. She wanted security. Who wins? Unfortunately, I did, to the detriment of our marriage, to the, to the lack of trust that she had for me that I had to rebuild. So in marriage, if I had submitted correctly to Jesus, that I would have never done that. But I had wanted one thing, and she had wanted another. Well, how does this matter for the church, right? Because that's really the question. How does this matter for a church being one body, unified in purpose? Well, in, in the gospel, all of us have one purpose. All of us have one mission. What is that? To love Jesus, to make him known, to know the gospel. Our, our whole purpose is to live in a redemptive way, that all of our relationships are redeeming and, and, and building towards the goodness, of, towards the, with the work of Jesus. Everything I do in my marriage and everything Kaylee does now works for the good of Jesus. She saves money, I save money. I do that because I want to worship Jesus and I want us to be unified. In a church, it, it happens in preferences, it happens in worship styles. It happens in um, sometimes the way people teach. We have these, these things that say, I'm holding true to this, and this is me, and this is, this is my. And yet we're not allowing ourselves to enter a body and lose preferences and lose the things we love in order to gain the worship of Jesus. And so all of us have gifts, and all of us have the abilities, and we have to use those, and we also have to die a little bit to ourselves to see the connectedness and the unity of the body built. If we want to see a healthy, functioning body, all of us are going to, we got, if, if we talk about paint colors, we'd have 70 different ideas for what color to paint this place. You know, I like that exit sign. It's got a nice red on it. I, I'd like to paint this place. You guys are crazy. You're like, you're crazy. Preferences have to die so the gospel can go out. And so, as we are built into the body, into one body, into one unified body for the gospel, we have to both grow ourselves as individual parts. We have to be built up as muscles and and strength. We have to grow together 
We have to grow in connectedness of each, with each other so those parts work together properly as uh, 14 and 15, 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's, that's what it, we need to work together. And, and thirdly, we need to die to the, to the way we, we want, might want things to be in order to make Jesus known. This, uh, this one verse, I actually, I preached this in three sermons, um, so I'm, I'm still whittling down. Um, this idea of speaking the truth in love is really valuable for us, and I want to take just one second to look at this. Because this is the way, if, if Jesus is the who we worship, and our gifts and, and the working of the gifts together is how we function as a body, what is the practical action you can take right now to walk and image Jesus? Speaking the truth in love. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love is not telling someone, wow, you look good today and you smell terrible, but you, that's a really nice shirt. Well, sometimes we think it's like these little jabs we get, right? Oh, I really need to tell him that he needs to take a shower. I'm going to go ahead and do that, but I'm going to sandwich it, right? Not, not speaking the truth in love. We think about like speaking the truth in love as... This is a, an egregious sin that I've got to kill this guy on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stake him out there and say, dude, you're really crazy, and then I'm going to leave. Speaking the truth in love is, is an active, uh, daily thing that we do as a church with each other. Speaking the truth in love might be better termed gospeling or truthing each other. And what I mean by that is that we, each one of us, becomes... A, a truth meter or a, uh, um, you know, like, like, like a little tester, you know. And someone, if, if someone in the church says something to us, maybe, man, I'm really having a tough day and I don't know if I'm really cut out for this work. I'm not really valuable. Boom. What do you know? Let me tell you about who you are in Jesus. Let me tell you about what the gospel has done for you and why you are in your work situation right now for the good of the gospel. All of us, need each other. We need each other. I need you. You need me. You need your neighbors. We can't walk out the life of a Christian alone. It's, it's ludicrous that we would ever think we could do it alone. I think quiet times are the silliest things ever because of people do quiet times by themselves. Have you ever thought about reading the, like reading the Bible with someone else in the morning? I always think about that. Wouldn't it be so cool? The idea of an individualized Western society has so permeated our church that we've lost the idea that we need each other. I need you, you need me. We must walk together if we are going to be a unified body. So as we grow in the word and grow in the gospel, we've got to be connected to each other and know how that works out. But we've made it such an individual path that we've... um, I, I, I am walking, walking with Jesus. I. And yet... The Bible rarely uses a lot of those terms. It says we, we all attain unity. The goal of our sanctification, the goal of us growing up in Jesus, is that all of us together would be built up. So speaking the truth in love allows us to not be malicious, but to be hopeful, to give give each other hope, to continually point each other to the gospel. And this matters because in suffering, we're going to want to go crazy places. When you suffer, when you have a hard day, when you, when you maybe lose a baby, when you're having a really tough relationship with your wife or your husband, when your family's not going as well as it should, when you lost your job and you're 
financially upside down in, in, in a payment. You feel like suffering, right? You feel like, man, it's, it's, it's over. I'm done. And yet, when we speak the truth in love, we don't allow each other to go crazy places. We, we hold each other together. I like the skin. I think about the skin as, as a protective barrier for germs, for bad germs, for... Uh, it protects, you know, it, it, the sun hits it and it doesn't bake us on the inside. I mean, the skin provides a protective barrier. Speaking the truth in love allows us as a body to speak to each other and gospel each other and point each other back to the cross and back to Jesus. Unfortunately, the, the term's been taken out of context and blasted around everywhere. And we think, oh, I've, I've got to speak the truth in love. I've got to, really na- I've got to, I've got to fight sin. Speaking the truth in love is a regular daily thing that we ought to do to one another. For me, um, I, could, I could go into more detail, but my wife and I have had a really hard year um, in our family. Personally, mar- mar- marriage-wise, we've, we've never had a better year, but we've been going through some, um, just some suffering, and, and we are constantly in need of gospeling each other and telling each other, this is not our hope, this is not our... This is not what we longed for. We, we, need, we need Jesus. We need to point to the, we need to go to the cross. And so I want all of you to, uh, as we, we're going to transition to a time of singing, a time of worship to Jesus, as we think about the church, as we think about who Jesus is, who Jesus has given, has, he's given us gifts, he's given us measure of talent and ability, he's given us an idea that we need to be connected to each other, And yet, individually, all of us will be the image of Jesus to this world this week. You will go to your job Monday morning, 8 a.m., and you will become the body of Jesus to your coworkers, to your boss. You will become the image of Jesus to your your young son and your young daughter. You You are becoming the image of Jesus to your family, to the mailman, to the postman, to your neighbors. This is, this is the idea of the church that we must become. If we are to grow into a healthy, functioning body of Christ, individually, all of us have to consider our hearts and consider the ways in which we believe something that's not true. We've walked somewhere we didn't want to walk, and we've not been faithful to walk with Jesus who loves us and cares about us. A time of worship now is a time for us to to redirect our affection and our heart and our lives away from ourselves, away from our pleasures and our preferences, and towards a good God that has served us, that has come from heaven who had everything and submitted to an angry group of religious people. We have, that's the God we serve. Jesus walked as we walked and yet did not sin. Jesus was faithful to the end. Jesus walked as we did, and yet never never complained. He did it with absolute joy because he knew he was serving his Father. So as we, as we worship, I pray, my prayer is that individually we would consider how all of us are the image of Jesus. And if we have not been the image of Jesus, I pray that we would repent of the ways we have portrayed ourselves instead of Jesus to this world. Let's pray. God, you have created a people for yourself in this room. Our hope is that we would worship you 
for your character and your goodness. Lord, we have walked in away from, from your plan. We've walked away from your good intention for our lives as the church. Lord Jesus, I pray this time would be a renewal time for us. I pray this time would be a time where we can come before your cross, consider our hearts, and Lord Jesus, we can we can we can turn our affection and our love towards you because you're worthy. You are you are so great. How could we turn to, to the world to satisfy us when we have a a father and a savior walking with us? Jesus, turn our hearts to your church. Turn our minds and our experiences to the work of the church. Let our, let our affections be for your body. Let us be an image to this world that would so greatly display your character. Let us not get in the way of what you're doing, but let us join with you in making your name known. We pray all these things in your great name. Amen.